Thanks for listening to the Roman Circus Podcast, a weekly dive into death-defying discussions of Catholic culture, tradition, and history. I'm Matt Baker, and with me as always is University of Oklahoma's Heisman Award Ceremony Watcher, Zach Mabry. Zach, how are you, my friend? Oh, I'm great this week. Oh, it's a big week. Tweet us at Roman Circus Pod. I'm at Hey, it's Matt Baker. Zach is at Zach Mabry, Z-A-C Mabry. You can email us, podcast at romancircusblog.com. Find us on iTunes, rate and review us if you want. You can also find us on Podbean, Stitcher, and Google Play. Zach, why is it a big week for you? Um, well, I'm I'm pretty pumped because Kyler Murray won the Heisman Trophy. So uh, we've had OU brought home the Heisman two years in a row. That's right, and you get to... Listen to who is it? Billy Sims just yell "boomer" during the yes. ceremony. Yep. Every time we win, he's in the background just screaming it. It's and so fun. even when you don't win, he's in the background just screaming it. That's true. Yeah, that's true. That's that's school spirit that right is, there. That is. Uh, so other than that, before we before we get to sports, we don't want to just go sports all the time. Is there anything anything in the news this week? Um. You know, there's a few things. Obviously, our uh, our friends, our friends over in the UK, mm-hmm. shout out to all of our UK listeners, are uh, watching Miss um, May, Theresa May, the Prime Minister, just totally botch this whole Brexit process, um, and she's delayed the Brexit vote uh, in Parliament again, or again. I mean, she's delayed it, so it's uh, it, it's going to happen sometime by January. Or so they say. It's a little bit frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, I think everybody's been pretty frustrating watching her handle this um, process. Perhaps Boris Johnson could have uh, could have done a good job, just saying. I don't but. know enough about UK politics to comment on that. Um, but I do know it has been weird watching them. I like how she's calling snap elections and she's, you know, kind of just waffling on... It seemed... It seemed like it should have been pretty easy for her to push what she wanted through. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, it's a very nuanced process. You would think it'd be, you know, just Brexit. Like, they're no longer part of the European Union, but there's all these considerations they have to make and whatnot. Yeah, fair enough. Like I said, fair I, enough. I don't know a lot about it. What else do we got? Well, so in this Trump investigation, um, we, th- we're not hearing much about Russia anymore. It's all kind of centered around these payments that were made to Trump's um, paramours, the, mm-hmm. the ladies that he visited for their their services, right. um, and, and hush money that he paid them uh, under the under the idea that those are are technically illegal campaign contributions. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, so that, I, don't, I don't know. It seems like this is all all stuff we've all known forever, right? They're just digging it up to, to get them. Is that what we think? I mean, it's, not to get them. They seem like it actually happened. Don't get me wrong. But, like, uh, it's like more. It's morphed so many times. They're, they're eventually going to get him one of these ways. Right. I mean, obviously, it started with this whole obstruction of justice thing with firing Comey and then it kind of goes into this whole collusion with Russia and I guess now it's on campaign finance violations so Mm -hmm. uh, you know eventually yeah I'm sure they'll they'll find something Mm -hmm. yeah just like us once we become America's most listened to podcast I just dropped my phone um, someone's going to dig something on us and they're just going to keep digging until they boot us out of here yeah that won't be difficult <laughs> that's why you have that secret locked account right pretty much pretty much okay gotta keep all the all the skeletons over there <laughs> not in the closet just over there no just sitting on your desk as a memento mori right yeah that's a good point all right is that all is that yes. all the news we can handle for this week i mean probably you know there's just not not a whole lot going on in the world. Everyone's so. everyone's getting ready for the holidays. We've entered into the second week of Advent, um, which is another purple candle. Next week we get the pink candle. That's always fun, right? Oh, we love candles. <laughs> I 
Yeah, we but do. it's actually Rose, Matt. Uh, I just call everything pink. I'm not buying into this salmon nonsense. I'll, I'll go with Rose, but okay, we'll allow Rose. We won't allow salmon. That's just for insecure men who don't think they're wearing pink. Right. Do you have any pink? And salmon, I mean. What's up? What? I don't know. Okay. I had a comment that wasn't, I didn't, yeah, lost it. Sweet. Uh, I was just going to ask if you own any pink clothing. Um, I have uh, some pink neckties. Oh, that's awesome. Pretty fancy. And then some, yeah. And then some plaid shirts that were one of the colors in them is pink. What about you? Uh, I don't. I own a lot of blues and grays. That's kind of my that's kind of my brand. Yeah. When they see me at mass and they see me in that blue shirt, they're like, "Oh, that must be Matt." I'm like, "Yes, that is me. It is I." The blue shirt wear has arrived. <laughs> yeah, I've logged on to mass. That's what I always say. Yes. All right. So this week we uh, we're going to talk about purgatory because. Purgatory is a wonderful thing, and we both we both like it. We are both pro purgatory. Let me just put that. If anyone's if anyone's listening to this decades later, let it be stated on the record that we are pro purgatory. Yes, yes, firmly in in support of purgatory. Firmly in support. All right. So, what do we what do we want to talk about? Do we want to talk about the what purgatory is kind of like the our thoughts on purgatory what direction this is all stuff we could have worked out immediately before this but i just thought people would like to hear the wheel spinning you know like they'd like to hear they'd like to if they pay it's like uh, we're making the meal right in front of them right we're, we're showing them that it's it's uh farm to table takes straight to your podcast yeah uh, like a hibachi we're the hibachi grill of of podcasting, right? We're not going going in the back and refrigerating and microwaving up some old podcasts and serving them to you. We're these are piping fresh podcasts. The definition of purgatory in Roman Catholic doctrine: a place or state of suffering inhabited by the souls of sinners who are expiating their sins before going to heaven. Okay. I think okay. I think that pre- see a lot of things jump out in that definition. Like what? One of them is where it says "are going to heaven." So, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, Protestants and and others mm-hmm. get confused about what we mean when we say purgatory, um, and then you know their ideas get picked up by you know less informed Catholics and kind of make their way into the church. Um, so you know, purgatory is not a uh, a this or that situation where like you know if you get to purgatory you either you know pass and go to heaven or you fail and, and go to hell right like it's um, a, if a you're test yeah right like once you're in purgatory you're definitely going to heaven it's it's only for people going to heaven yeah that's and that's kind of i mean again the small segment of matt gets upset at things he didn't learn in catholic school but uh i think we're it's because of the misunderstanding of purgatory that we're not really taught about it because it just kind of seems like a, a maybe hell to people, even though it isn't right. So obviously yeah. we're not taught about hell cause it's scary and bad. Um, and then we all, all <laughs> we're not taught about it and then we all wind up in it. Uh, but uh, so purgatory, it seems like a maybe hell when it isn't. So it's, and it's just kind of, you know, just, why why talk about anything but heaven when you can just tell everyone that they're going to heaven and just talk about it so glowingly? Um, but yeah, so you're there basically, obviously, to work off venial sin or work off any imperfections. So you've made it through, you've passed through the judgment, um, but you you have you know mind, you have these these imperfection or these venial sins that still need to be worked off. Yeah, or just the the damage that remains from your forgiven mortal mm. sins. Sure. Um, you know, I mean, there's still temporal punishment due to mortal sin, even after you've gone to confession and, you know, taking care of the eternal punishment. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, you've kind of got to work all that off. 
Okay. Um, and that is that my understanding is just basically you want to enter into heaven perfect, right? You know, there no flawed, no flawed thing should enter into heaven. Right. I mean, it's not possible for anything, you know, uh, with blemished in or heaven. And so, yeah, you've got to be spotless and, and completely pure mm-hmm. to go in. And so the, you know, the effects, you know, whenever you have a sin, I mean, it, it impacts you, you know, it affects your soul. It changes your, your appetites. Um, you know, you become more inclined towards that sin. So even if you've been forgiven, you know, there's still those residual effects you need to work out. Okay. So really you, you could have, you could have stopped committing the sin 50 years ago. 50 is a long time. Let's say 10 years ago, but there's still, uh, there's still little kernels of it that floating around that just need to be expiated basically. Like it said in the definition. Right. I mean, Right. And I mean, you've used um, this kind of metaphor before, but it's sort of like, you know, if you take a block of wood, mm-hmm. the sin is, you know, pounding nail a nail into the wood. Right. Uh, and being forgiven, going to confession is like prying the nail out. But the um, hole still remains. But you, right. And so the, the hole's going to have to be gone before you can make it to heaven. And so that's where, you know, purgatory is kind of, you know, repairing that damage. Okay. All right. Um, so the, also my understanding of purgatory, I've been told this, uh, the fire of hell and the fire of purgatory are the same fire, except the fire of purgatory is like the, the cleansing fire. So it's basically the same thing, except it's just, it's, uh, the way it's used is different. Have you heard this? You know what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah. I, well, that's good. I, I'm first of all, I'm glad for that because that means that I don't think I spoke heresy. But yeah, that's what I. Um, that's what I've been told is basically it's the same fire, but that fire instead of a more you know a punishing fire is is a purgative fire meant to meant to okay. cleanse us. Right. Well, and that's the thing is it's not so much a punishment as it is like a preparation and a cleansing, mm-hmm. you know, activity. It doesn't consume, um, but it, uh, it it destroys the transgressions. The, okay. You know, the idea is that it like repairs. Okay. And some also some uh, some theologians say that it, this fire also involves pain of the senses. So I guess the idea when we talked about hell months and months ago like the it hell just is like a a, (laughs) something that puts your senses on extreme overload towards the bad right so it just like it it, if you're if you used your if you used your life for bad things involving the sense of sight then maybe in hell it's just like an ultra overload of these pains involving sight, right? Mm-hmm. So I can't. I'm uh, I'm kind of curious what the what they mean in terms of uh, involving the pain of senses in purgatory, right? Because if it's not if it's not a necessarily a punishment, it wouldn't be extreme uh, to, towards the pain of sight, for instance. But if it, if there was something lingering there, it would have to it would have to involve a pain somehow. But I, I don't I don't know what that pain would be. What like would, would it be? Would it be more again like a, what would a purgative pain be? Just like an arduous task, something involving sight that's arduous. You know, I'm not really sure. I mean, I, I've always just heard that it would be you know, like a, a cleansing fire. So I've just always mm-hmm. thought it would, you know, it would burn essentially. I mean, because you don't have your body, I, I don't know how the pain of senses fits in there. Okay. But in, in, I, I would think there'd be something along the lines of like, a, if you, if you like lust, for example, like if, it, if you're constantly using your sight for lust or for inappropriate looks or something, but you've been, for, you've been forgiven um, and you, die in a state of grace but you still have that kernel of that floating around somewhere maybe it maybe it just 
puts you through something arduous is involving sight. So your sight is cleansed, right? So it's not a pain. It's not a pain of, like I said, punishment, but like, you know, how arduous things, they're tough. Like that's what, uh, like our, we get all messed up when we can't do like our irascible appetites, right? As far as arduous. Mm-hmm. So if it was something like that, maybe there's the arduous, something burning away and us having to do this arduous task. I don't know. That's all I can think about on that. That's all. That's, that's kind of my thoughts. Yeah. I mean, what, what Gregory the Great says is that, um, the pain will be more intolerable than anyone can suffer in this life. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, you know, that's pretty bad. Um, and then St. Thomas basically says that, you know, other than the punishment of being separated from the sight of God, you know, there's the fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, St. Bonaventure goes on to say that the fire is more severe than any punishment which comes to man in this life. Um, so, I mean, basically it doesn't sound fun. Um, and, it, it, you know, the doctors are kind of silent on how the fire affects the souls. Right. Um, so, but um, realistically, it, you know, it should be pretty pretty bad according to all the descriptions that are given. Um, right. But so, you- yeah. But you still have the, you still have hope, right? Do you, I think, because you, you don't even have hope anymore. So they've, they've talked, this is something that was also debated was whether you knew or not in purgatory, whether you, you know, were going to heaven. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I, I think the theologians by the medieval period were pretty clear, um, that the particular judgment, because that, you know, you have your judgment before you go to purgatory. Um, that you would already know where you were destined. And St. Bonaventure backs that up too. Okay. Um, so that also that means that there you don't have faith, right? Because the faith is taken care of and the hope is taken care of. Are you doing this? Is there any like charitable aspects? Do you, or did you read anything on the idea of it being done out of charity? Um, I mean, you know, to a certain extent, because, you know, the you're as far as charity and purgatory, I mean, you're obviously, you know, I guess we need to get into the, the concept of praying for people in purgatory, but, um, you know, I think that, you know, ultimately in purgatory, you're hoping for, you know, prayers from the faithful on earth and Mm -hmm. saints in heaven to help you, you know, pass through this, this time of purgation, you know, quicker for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. So, okay. That's a good segue into, uh, the souls in purgatory cannot pray for themselves. Right. Right. So they require, that's why, that's why we pray for them. So they also, you said they also have the saints in heaven praying for them. Um, talk, do you want to talk about a little about indulgences? Well, I guess first let's just talk about in general. I mean, so, you know, when you're in purgatory, um, going through, the purification one thing that can can ease that and can can move that along is the prayers of the faithful and, and of saints in heaven not your own prayers though right. um like you said and um so um the most you know the principal way that souls in purgatory are helped is through the mass basically you know saying mass for the dead um you know that's why we have funerals is so that everybody will pray for the person who has just died and so that um, the holy sacrifice of the mass will be offered, you know, right away mm-hmm. um, once the person dies to help aid them through purgatory. Okay. All right. So yeah, anything we offer to them, and no prayer goes unwasted. By the way, so if we if we pray for a soul that we were hoping, like I okay, again I if we do, if we pray for a soul that we hope is in purgatory. If they're not, then that prayer does not go wasted. It gets passed to somebody who is in purgatory. Right. So that's why it's good to, that's why it's good to continue praying for people because first of all, we we don't know where they are, as we've said many times. So we don't want to just assume we know. So that's why it's good to just continue because then if they are, if they are somewhere, that prayer does not get wasted. It goes to someone else who needs it. Right. I mean, you know, since you, you don't have direct knowledge of whether or not somebody is still in purgatory, the, the safest bet is to assume that they are. Mm-hmm. And, you you know, you can trust that if they're there, 
they'll be very happy for your prayers. Absolutely. Um, and and yeah, and if they're no longer in purgatory, if they've if they've made it out and they're in heaven, um, it, it's not going to upset them that you have have prayed for them. Kind of like you said, the prayers will go to someone else who needs them. Um, you know, there's no wasted prayer. And so, you know, I, I had a situation where I was having mass said for someone who had been dead for, you know, kind of a long time. And the person, you know, I, I mentioned it to them and they were kind of offended that I was having a mass said for this, this relative that we both had mm-hmm. saying, you know, do you really think that he's still in purgatory? He's been dead for, you know, almost 30 years. Right. I said, well, I mean, I have no way of knowing. And I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not judging him by having a mass said for him. I, you know, I'm doing this out of charity to, you know, if he needs it, here it is. And if he doesn't, it'll go to someone else. But I just want to make sure, you know, that he's getting prayed for and that, you know, we're not just leaving him in purgatory longer than he has to be there. Sure. And the good part is if they're, if you're praying for them, when, when they make it through, they'll be praying for you if you go to purgatory. So it all, it always, right. it always helps to have people, people looking out for you. Yes. And that's the thing. They're very, uh, you know, if we're talking about charity, the people that you pray for in purgatory and, and you help them reach heaven, um, they're definitely not going to forget it. And, you know, they'll be praying for you, um, you know, on earth so that you can die in the state of grace, but then also once you get to purgatory to help you, you know, pass through. And so, um, it's a very good, a good thing to be praying for the souls in purgatory, even if, you know, for what is the, the Ayn Rand, um, enlightened self-interest stuff. So, you know, even, even just to get them to pray back for you when your time comes, uh, it's a good, it's a good investment of your prayers. Have we ever quoted Ayn Rand on this podcast before? Hopefully not. <laughs> Throw her into the, the Elon Musk pile of people we don't like to talk about. No, I mean, you know, she just isn't isn't the best person to talk about. I mean, you know, I mean she wasn't one of the great minds of the of the last hundred years, that's for sure. I was always confused. I went to uh I went to a shrink for a little bit, to a therapist, um okay. years ago. And uh, that's not why I was confused. Someone told me about her. I was like, oh, I'll go. But she was like this hippie, free spirit, but she loved Ayn Rand. And I never I never quite got why. It was just like a weird, a weird mix. But that's an aside. She was just so jacked up for me to watch Atlas Unshrugged, the movie. She's like, you got to watch it. It's amazing. And I was like, yeah, it's... Atlas Shrugged? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's stupid. It's stupid. <laughs> there's a there's an, a very interesting... You should read, if you, when it comes to Atlas Shrugged, read the review from... Uh, in the National Review online mm-hmm. for uh, Atlas Shrugged. It's fantastic. And it, it kind of explains, you know, why the book is just garbage. But, um, I mean, there's interesting points to it to a sense but i think a lot of the reasons people like her is because you know she says points that kind of jive with certain libertarian or conservative points but she was you know an atheist right so they can be like oh this isn't just some christian thing but um the thing is is it's i mean it's just not good points yeah um but uh i think there's i think atlas shrug does kind of predict like this oprah type figure Mm -hmm. so that's interesting but yeah i mean you know, there's better books out there for if you're talking about like dystopian future novels. Um, Anne Rand isn't isn't the best to to look at. I mean, she's about on par with like George Orwell. <laughs> Fair enough. I didn't expect Orwell to get slammed. But well, I, I mean, his stuff was crap too. Yeah. Well, this is a this is turning into our what books are terrible book review. Yes, but they're dead, right? So pray for Anne Rand and George Orwell. That's the point. That, that was, they may that they may see that they may see the face of God. That's that's how we bring it all back together. So indulgences. Shall we talk a little about them? Sure. Give me the Zach Mabry breakdown of indulgences. Of indulgences? Mm-hmm. I mean, basically, an indulgence act is is some good act that the church has assigned. Um, you know. I guess what merit to mm-hmm. um, basically if you know, an indulgence could be like, 
you know, praying the rosary with a group, you know, five decades of the rosary, you know, that could be um, a plenary indulgence, which plenary means that it, you know, it remits all of the uh, temporal punishment due to sin. Okay. So, you know, if a soul in purgatory had an attempt, had a plenary indulgence, you know, it would be done. It would go straight to heaven. Um, so when you, when you do the acts that the church lays out for the indulgence, you can apply it to yourself or to a soul in purgatory to help them. Right. Um, and you know, it's probably best to do it for a soul in purgatory because, you know, you could get a plenary indulgence for yourself and then fall back into sin the next day and it's, it's gone. Sure. Um, but if you, you know, apply it to a soul in purgatory, they can't sin anymore. So they get it, they go to heaven and, you know, they're able to pray for you. Um, and you know, they're in heaven for all eternity. So there's two kinds of indulgences, the plenary indulgence, like I said, which remits all of the temporal punishment due to sin, mm-hmm. and then um, a partial indulgence, which remits, you know, some of the temporal punishment due to sin. And um, there's a, a book, the church has a, like a handbook of indulgences that it, that, you know, lists all of the, all of the current laws for indulgence. There's a, an old book called the Recolta. Mm-hmm that's pretty popular and it has all these prayers that are indulgenced. The thing is, is that's not in force anymore. Um, so it's got great prayers that you should definitely pray. And some of them, you know, are related to newer indulgences that are still available, but the, the indulgences spelled out in that book are no longer in force, but it's, it's a red book that a lot of people have, you know, just on their bookshelf full of all kinds of prayers and good works and, and things that, you know, used to earn you an indulgence, but you know, now they don't. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the, and the requirements for the indulgence are you have to obviously meet whatever act creates the indulgence and you have to, right. You have to, you have to do the thing and you have to go to uh, confession within a week. Right. Yeah. So that's why that's kind of the basis for why people say go to confession every two weeks, because that way you're always, right. you're always within shooting distance of an indulgence. Mm-hmm. And then is the third to receive communion? Yes. I mean, you have to be in the state of... So when you do the act and receive communion, you have to be in the state of grace, obviously, so you can receive communion. But right. that's for a, a plenary indulgence. Okay. Um, that's one of the requirements. Okay. All right. And then... Yeah. And then and then there's also the requirement to, to pray for the Pope. Oh, sure. And that's that's why we do that at the end of the rosary. Yeah. So yeah, you have to do the thing, pray for the Pope, receive communion, and then confession within seven days. So that's seven days, you know, forwards or backwards, which is why, you know, going every two weeks keeps you, keeps you covered. So yeah, you can always earn a plenary indulgence. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, and those are, you know, they're, they're things to strive for. There also needs to be a detachment from sin. And so, you know, that's tough. Right. That's um, like, that's like one that always people forget and that's one of the hardest things right um and so basically a partial indulgence could be like any anytime you don't meet all those requirements Mm -hmm. you know like you you don't have you don't make it to communion that day or you forget to pray for the pope or if if something is specifically spelled out as a partial indulgence um it's interesting though historically uh and you may have seen this in old prayer books or missiles um Indulgence prayers include like a, a length of time listed next to them, like you know, three years or seven years or or whatever. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, no, but I don't have a ton of old prayer books. If I'm being honest. Okay. Well, yeah. A lot of times you'll see indulgences with a, a period of time listed for a partial indulgence. Okay. Um, and there's there's some confusion that says like, okay, if an indulgence says three years, then that's three years of purgatory. Um, and that's incorrect. What what that referred to is actually much more than three years. It referred to, you know, the church as- assigns to that indulgence, um, makes it the equivalent of that that much penance on earth. So, like, if you were going to do three years of, of penance while you were on earth, like, think back to, you know, the early church when they would do these long public penances, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's what the merit from that is what the church has assigned to this, you know, indulgenced prayer. Okay. Um, the penances that we do on earth though, have a, a, you know, stronger effect 
in the next life. And so it's much more than three years off purgatory in that sense, as far as, you know, an indulgence that has a length of time tied to it. Sure. However, none of them have length of time attached to them anymore. The church quit doing that. Now it just kind of makes it based on the prayer itself. Okay. So in general, partial indulgences are worth a lot less under the new rules as far as like remitting time in purgatory and temporal punishment than they were previously because they, they didn't have this additional factor of the church assigning, you know, it's kind of a penitential weight to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Looks like I need to brush up on my old prayer books. That's that's kind of what Probably I do. that's kind of what I took away from this. So the idea of stacking indulgences, like you just you shouldn't hoard them, right? You should just give you should give them out for the purpose you said of if you fall into mortal sin the next day, it's completely gone and wasted. Um Right. I would say, I mean, yeah, earn as many as you possibly can, but yeah, earn them for your, earn them for the dead is my advice. I mean, keep some for yourself, I guess, but. Okay. So this is a very, very basic level question, but I need an answer to it. When you give away an indulgence, how, how do you do that? Right. So you go in and you have the intent, say you're, you're doing it. I don't know. You're just doing one of the, you're, uh, doing the cemetery, getting indulgence for the cemetery in, in November, right? Or like the, the mm-hmm. day of the dead. Do you, yeah. how do you give that away? Right. So, you know, you know what I'm saying? Do you like make it part of your prayer or do you just state your intent for this indulgence before you do it? Yeah. I mean, you just want to make a firm intention similar mm-hmm. to like, you know, if you're praying, if you're offering, you know, the rosary for somebody right. or anything else, you know, you just kind of say, you know, I offer this for my great grandfather or, okay. or whatever. Um, you know, you, you can say that out loud or you can say it in your head, but you just want to make sure you form, you know, with your will, um, that clear intention. Okay. So it's an act of the will, obviously. Yeah. Okay. All right. I just wanted to clear that up. Just if there was any confusion. Yeah, it's tricky. Tricky, tricky. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, as far as, like, this is one of the indulgences. The only thing I ever heard about indulgences growing up was like, well, we sold them, and that's how we ended up with the Protestants. Like, right? Like, that's right. That's basically that. And it, um, I didn't learn anything else. So I just it was like, oh, yeah, the indulgences. And, oh, the dangerous part about that is I was kind of trained, not trained, but the lack of information made me believe that indulgences were bad, that they weren't like good things we can get. Like they were just fake things tossed out by the Pope so the Pope can get a little cash on the side. Right. And, you know, there's a lot to unpack there because at the end of the day, um, the the Protestant revolt had very little to do with doctrine and it had everything to do with political power, um, real estate and, and things like that. The, right. You know, German princes wanted, and obviously the church of England, you know, wanted the land and the money. Um, and, 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 uh, sexual license, you know, King Henry VIII wanted to be able to have sex oh, with sure. somebody else. Right. Um, and same with Se- Martin Luther. Seven I mean, other, he ends seven up married to people, two. right? No, six other people. Right. Right. I mean, an exact same thing with Martin Luther. Uh, you know, I mean, he was a Augustinian monk, you know, obviously took vows of of celibacy and chastity. Um, but, you know, after he starts his own thing, he ends up, you know, hooking up with this nun and they have seven children. So, I mean, a lot of it had it, very little of, of Protestant, the Protestant revolution had to do with, with points of doctrine or anything mm-hmm. about the mm-hmm. Bible or that stuff. A lot of that stuff is kind of grafted on after the fact to justify, you know, these, these money grabs or, or, you know, that kind of thing. But, um, with indulgences, what you did have, um, was this idea that they were being sold. And some of that, you know, it's, it's hard to know what's true and what's false because, you know, a lot of propaganda gets spread during this time period. Absolutely. But, but basically, you know, giving alms, um, you know, will always be a good act uh, as far as one of the available, you know, works of mercy or, or things you can do where you, you take of your money and you give it to the church or a good cause. Mm-hmm. And um, so the church used to reward an indulgence for that. Um, 
and and then I guess in in certain locations and places the story goes that that got abused and it essentially became like a you know you know a, like a I guess like a Patreon system, you know, like, okay, you, you pay this much and you get indulgence for, for this and that. And, mm-hmm. you know, do you want your grandmother to fry forever? You better write a check or. Sure. Um, it's really, it's really something easy to use against people to get them to do what you want. Right. And so, I mean, you know, it's hard to know how much of that happened, how much of that is just rumors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it is you know, difficult to say, but what the church did at the Council of Trent, just to, to clear up any confusion, was basically just said, okay, no more indulgences can be related to um, gifts of money, and and just kind of shut that down. So if there were cases where it was essentially indulgence certificates were being sold, or, you know, because that's what the idea is, I guess they would print up, you know, little certificates to kind of show that the indulgence was granted. Yeah, like a tan- the that tangible they were just sell- item, like in it. Like yeah, a, I mean, like a baptismal certificate or right. a prayer card or, you know, I mean, it, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever had someone give you like a, a card after they pray a holy hour for you. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's that kind of thing. Um, that those were more or less just being sold. Well, so at, at Trent, they just, you know, brought the hammer down on that. So, you know, there there may have been priests or bishops in, you know, certain locations that were abusing it. Um, but it, it doesn't appear, well, I mean, at, at the end of the day, Granting an indulgence for gifts of money is okay um, in theory, but it is against church law now mm-hmm. and has been since the Council of Trent. Um, but it, none of that really changes the doctrine of indulgences or makes indulgences good or bad. And the extent to which any of that had to do, you know, any of that helped spur the Protestant revolution um you know, I mean, I think that's questionable well, to an just, extent when you kind of look at the real motives yeah, I mean, behind it, all that. The indulgences are a convenient excuse to use to kind of push your thoughts forward, right? So, like, obviously, I I would almost guarantee that there were priests and bishops doing exa- selling indulgences for their own gain because they're bad priests and bishops, right? And um, someone's banging on my apartment. I don't know who that is, if you can hear it. But so I get, almost guarantee that that was happening. Um, but again, it does not make the church false all of a sudden, right? So, but so it's kind of weak to say like, oh, well, these bad people are selling indulgences. The church isn't the real church. But if you use that as part of a barrel of complaints, whether they're true or not, then it just adds to the strength of your argument, right? Yeah, so indulgences are a really good thing. Um, you know, I mean, realistically, you can earn one. I think it's limited where you can get one uh, plenary indulgence per day. Okay. Except except during November, um, and we'll get those specific rules for you before next November. You get you, you um, get an indulgence for Movember for growing a mustache in November. There you go. So I mean, Just it's kidding. worth doing something, doing you know, earning some kind of indulgence. Um, you know, how about every sun every Sunday since you're going to be going to mass and hopefully in the state of grace and receiving communion right. why not get an indulgence for one of the poor souls in purgatory and you could say you know um you know i i give this indulgence to maybe someone you know like a dead relative or you can say um how about you know the uh you know a soul that that just needs one more you know i mean you could say that the next soul to go to heaven i want it to i want to give it to the soul that can be the next one that goes to heaven wow that's a power or, move right there yeah, a, the soul that's been in purgatory the longest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can do... The vast majority of people who live end up being mostly forgotten, you know, after a certain number of years. Sure. Obviously. And so, you know, there's a lot of people that maybe don't have, a, have you know, just, just leagues and leagues of people praying for them. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, offer it for whoever's been there the longest or, you know, whoever just got there. I mean, you know, think of you know, interesting ways to say who it's for, or just, you know, tell, tell her blessed mother to decide who it goes to and just hand it up to her. That's a good idea. Uh, Yeah. She'll do the right thing with it. Yeah, she will. Uh, Now tying it back into purgatory as a convert, um, we've, we've reached the, as a convert section of this podcast. What was your first, did you have any pre Catholicism thoughts on purgatory or did you kind of learn, what it was when you converted. 
Um, I I think before I had kind of heard of it sort of incorrectly as sort of a, a you know maybe heaven maybe hell mm-hmm. place that you go. Um, but really, as soon as it was explained to me that no, if you go to purgatory, you're you're definitely going to heaven, and and the idea is you know to be completely purged of all of your you know, the remnants of your sin so that your soul can be perfect when it enters heaven. Mm-hmm. It kind of just made sense. You know, I mean, um, to me, it seemed a little bit hokey to think that, you know, you have all these sins or tendencies to sin, imperfections, you know, selfishness, greediness, whatever. And then you die and those things just fall right off. You know, I mean, it, that makes it seem like you're not really you in heaven if, if just, you know, at the snap of a finger, all these bad tendencies and everything that you had on earth just goes away um, and it really cuts against the sin bravely mantra of luther or sin boldly yeah well i guess the i guess the idea would be if maybe if if your sins were all just in the body mm-hmm. then you know once you die and your soul is freed from the body then it's you know it's freed from all the sins too but you know i, I guess it's pretty clear in scripture that you know the sins that you commit affect your soul um so yeah, I mean to me it it made a lot of sense. I mean, um yeah, I didn't have a lot of qualms with with purgatory. That was one that I thought, no, this is very logical. Makes sense that you would, you know, you wouldn't just die and suddenly be perfect. You, you, that would have to be a process so that, you know, because you'll be you in heaven uniquely mm-hmm. and you're not just kind of you're not just kind of absorbed into this this big mass of of life. Like you'll continue to be your self as you were created in heaven and in this case so if myself is going to be in heaven and still have my free will but have no desire to commit any kind of sin whatsoever you know obviously something's gonna have to happen between now and then Mm -hmm. uh to get me like that sure you know right so yeah that wasn't one i really grappled with that's good it's interesting that i would say a lot of times um cradle catholics not all of them i'm not going to paint with a broad brush but it's like they haven't heard as much about purgatory or they've been taught really weird things like to soften the whole idea of purgatory and it's almost like they're more uncomfortable with it than than like a convert would be oh absolutely it it it's a hundred percent correct it because it's such an unknown and like i said in the beginning of the pot or the beginning of when we started talking about this like it's taught as a maybe hell not as not hell right it needs to be taught as the second happiest place besides heaven, which is what... Right, I mean, the only place that you can... I guess you you know that you're never going to sin again in heaven, obviously, but also in purgatory, perhaps in hell. I, I don't think you sin in hell. Um, but it's the only place, you know, besides heaven where you know that you will see God, you right. know, for sure. yeah. No, that's true. And I, that you can't offend him. Nothing that you do in purgatory is a sin, so you, you can't, um, you can't, you can no longer offend God. So this charity, this love for God that you have is no longer threatened by the, the fact that you could offend him. Okay, right. Now, I'm just thinking about that, do you sin in hell thing? Because if hell is a punishment for your sin, then it's the reward for your actions. So I guess it's not necessarily a sin, but just a constant state of reward for that sin. Not reward, but uh, whatever it is, whatever we call it. Yeah, I think that would it would it would essentially come down to definitions mm-hmm. of like whether because I mean obviously there's a lot of bad stuff going on. We'll have to ask a theologian on that that point. Are you are you meant to imply that we are not theologians? Um, good to remind everybody out there that we're not theologians. We're just big dumb idiots. Yeah, I mean, I you know I live in proximity to a really good bookstore, <laughs> um, and I have the internet. Yes, and I, I I've been pointed to really good uh, internet sites uh, run by holy holy men of God mm-hmm. that you know break things down so that even even a, a workaday accountant can can understand the the truths of the faith. Mm-hmm. We are so lucky. Yeah, so that I I don't know. Purgatory is not a place to work. It's not a place to be frightened of. Like I, we want, obviously, we want to shoot for not purgatory. We want to bypass purgatory. Um, 
And that's a really good point to mention is that, you know, the the ordinary route is that you you do reach perfection in this life and die and go straight to heaven. Mm-hmm. And by ordinary, I, I wanted to kind of distinguish there, like, let's talk about ordinary versus extraordinary when we're talking about grace. Okay. Um, so, like, an apparition where Our Lady appears to you, like the Fatima children um, or Lourdes. We're talking about, you know, real apparitions, right? Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Those are extraordinary graces. And what that basically means is that, you know, God kind of, grants those for specific reasons um they don't usually the reason doesn't have anything to do with the person that's chosen to receive that Mm -hmm. but it's you know it's extraordinary okay so like it's not something that you should ask for and it's obviously not something that's available for everybody right Um, right but an ordinary grace is something that is available for everybody um and you should ask for it and strive for it and it's there so an, an ordinary grace is reaching a state of sanctified perfection in this life where you you go straight to heaven when you die. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's achieved through prayer um, and kind of taking, we've talked in episodes before about, you know, the, the purgative way and the illuminative, illuminative way and the unitive way, um, which, you know, are, are levels of prayer, but they also correspond with, you know, like your morals and your, your virtues and all that. You know, God will give you enough grace to reach perfection in this life. Now, the fact is, the vast, vast, vast majority of us are not going to make it to that level before we die. Right. You know, a, a lot of the saints do, and Teresa of Avila and, and whatnot. But, you know, we won't. And that's where purgatory comes in. So even though um, even though the, the ordinary path is to reach sanctified perfection in this life, the, the reality is most of us don't, but we still die in a state of grace. And we, we get, you know, purgatory as our backup plan. So, yeah, I mean, shoot for heaven. And if you miss, you can go to purgatory. You don't want to aim for, like, just just screeching out, just barely, you know, making it into purgatory. Mm-hmm. Because if you mess that up, you know, that's that's bad. Oh, yeah. No, that's a, that's the fallback. That isn't the, that isn't the shoot for. But, you know. Right. It's, you know, it's, it's a good, it, it'll, that'll do, pig, if you end up there. You just have to. You just have to be willing to tough out the the fire for a little bit, an undisclosed amount of time. Yep, it, that's it's all. Outside, no it's outside. No outside of space and time. So I guess do we do they put a year? Like, do we know? I don't really understand that. I know that there are saints that have appeared that have you know in apparitions have said that you know for each mortal sin um, that you commit that you're forgiven for. Mm-hmm. It, it takes, you know, what feels like seven years in purgatory to kind of work off the damage that that, that you've done to yourself. Um, so, I, you know, I mean, I don't really know what that means since it is, yeah, like outside of time and space. Right. And I think I, that, to me, that seems like one of those things uh, that is just, you just ponder unnecessarily to make yourself feel weird or feel smart. I don't know. I think I think it I think the that's one of the least relevant pieces of purgatory. Yeah. I mean it's it's no it's not like you're there for a few you know, it's not like a, a quick thing though. I mean it does it is you know, an experience that, you know, if you were to relate it to time, it feels like a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um is is just my understanding. It's not like a five minute vacation. Right. Like uh well if you're here you're here just take a number and when your number comes you'll you'll go yeah right interesting interesting i uh so interesting i don't know if i should say well i hope to see it one day because i hope to just see heaven one day but you know what all right we'll we'll, cr- we'll cross that bridge when we come to it yes we'll pass through purgatory when we arrive at it mm-hmm. all right saint of the week yeah, let's have a saint of the week. Saint of the week is Saint Lucy. Very nice, very nice. One of my favorites. I've seen when I was like when I was deciding to convert and I was traveling Rome for school, there would be depictions of Saint Lucy all around and I, I always loved seeing the Roman martyrs. So, continue. Is that why is that why you you just love seeing the martyrs or is there a specific another like a specific reason you took to her? Just constantly seeing her all the time or um, I think it was just cool 
I mean, she was one of the Roman martyrs that I saw quite a bit, and it was neat that she had her eyeballs on a little tray, and it just kind of showed me how weird Catholicism was, and, and the weirdness was, was what kind of drew me to it as far as this might be true and not just something people came up with to, like, feel good about themselves. Eyeballs on a tray, Zach. Mm-hmm. Wow. They, uh, so basically all the stories, whether it be the eyeballs or it be another, it has to do with... Uh, potential suitors trying to get her and calling her out for being a Christian and then her being executed for it. Uh, The story about the eyes is that she she poked out her own eyes, right, to to try and, like, dissuade suitors. Is that what I'm to understand correctly? Oh, I thought they they were gouged out, but I... Oh. I'm not... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they were gouged out. Uh, uh, there is a version that has her taking out her own eyes in order to discourage a persistent suitor who admired them. But uh, the, I guess the generally accepted one is that the, the guard, that there were guards that actually gouged out her eyes as a, as a form of torture, Zach. She, her feast day, she died at the tender age of 21 in Syracuse, which is in the Roman Empire, not in upstate New York. Uh, well, it's there, too. Her feast day is December 13th. Uh, she's the patron of the blind, of Malta, of epidemics, of salesmen, of throat infections, of Syracuse, of Italy, of writers, of the Philippines. Uh, so, yeah, when you see her, you see her uh with her eyes on a di- dish or uh she's in the she's also sometimes in the company of Saint Agatha, Saint Agnes, Saint Barbara, Saint Catherine. Uh and she's also depicted sometimes kneeling before the tomb of Saint Agatha. Uh wow. It, uh, that, so yeah, Saint Agatha had also been martyred and her shrine was her right. shrine was around Syracuse. And St. Agatha came to Lucy in a dream and told her that because of her faith, her mother would be cured and that Lucy would go, would be the glory of Syracuse. And then her mother was cured and Lucy took the opportunity uh, basically to persuade her mother to allow her to distribute a great part of her riches among the poor. And then the prophecy was fulfilled and she was the glory of Syracuse. Amazing. Yeah. All right, Zach. That's Saint. All right, well, Saint Lucy, pray for us. All right, so we, uh, yeah, we'll see you in the third week of Advent, the rose candle of Advent. Yes. Have a happy Gaudete Sunday this coming week, and you can kind of let up on your Advent penances, you know, momentarily. Uh, but then, you know, get back to work. Get right back to work. All right, gang. Talk to you next week. See ya. See ya.